I think my face and, and what I've been through as a person has very much influenced my writing. I always weave parts of my suffering um, journey, my soul, psychology training as well into all my books. Um, and many of my characters are sort of shown grappling with some of the questions that I've wrestled with. You know, why does God put us through hard times and dark valleys? Is God good? Does he care what happens to us? All, all those kinds of questions. Hey there, you're listening to another episode of the Upside Down People podcast. If you've been enjoying the show, we'd love it if you could share it with your family and friends or give it a rating and review. In today's episode, I sit down and have a conversation with Jasmine Fisher. Jasmine was originally a psychologist with a master's degree in clinical psychology. However, she finds herself working as a freelance editor and an author of Christian fantasy. Her recent book, Keller, has won the 2023 Realm Award Book and Fantasy Book of the Year. In this conversation, we talk about how Jasmine's faith and life experiences have led her to becoming a fantasy writer and how her understanding of the gospel outworks itself within her stories that she creates. We get to know Jasmine a bit more and find out some of the highs and lows in life that she's experienced. It's a great conversation, so let's jump into it. Well, welcome to the show, Jasmine. So pleased to be having a conversation with you today. How are you going? Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, going really well. Thank you. Where um, whereabouts? I'm I'm in Perth at the moment, and and Perth's had it's sort of the the summer season where it's uh, pretty hot weather. Whereabouts are you located? So we're just north of Sydney, so beautiful Central Coast region, um, New South Wales. So. Um, yeah, we have been getting hot days, cold days, rainy days, sunny days, everything in between. Um, so yeah, flicking the aircon and the heater on and off at the moment. Um, bit sticky today, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, we um, we definitely have more of the the dry heat over here. Um, yesterday was it was I think around forty degrees. It was pretty um oh gosh really yeah yeah you just had to stay indoors it's it's sort of the time as well like you can go out to the beach but then you're just gonna get toasted so i will yeah. try and um cover up in the shade during the hotter oh. hours of the day and sunsets are really nice and those balmy evenings are good but midday is a bit unpleasant yeah, don't go outside. <laughs> and I love Perth. I have been to Perth. Uh, I think it's my favourite capital city. Oh, really? Why? Yeah. Why is that? I, I just love that. I, I've sort of got uh, European heritage. My dad's German. My mum's Hungarian. And so I loved the influence of sort of the European cultures and love Fremantle and okay. Swan Valley, if that's right. So it's yeah. been a while since I've been there. And the, um, oh, you nailed it. So much better organized than Sydney. Sydney is just chaos. How uh, much <laughs> just a gridlock? Uh, yeah, we hate sort of driving anywhere near Sydney. <laughs> yeah, okay. But yeah, Perth was lovely. It felt like it was designed, thought about. So yeah. I'm a <laughs> Yeah, it's a nice, it is a nice city. I like it. Um, it's it's sort of a, a sleepier city than the rest, but a bit more laid back. So it's enjoyable. A nice pace yeah. of life. I think definitely yeah and if I had to sort of live anywhere and not not I obviously don't want to be away from family and friends but I would I would choose that so yeah, yeah. 
Nice. WH, that's kept secret. <laughs> it is, yeah. So I, I want to um, jump into just getting to know you a bit. I think um, it'll be great for our listeners uh, just to hear a bit about yourself. Um, we've heard where you live. Maybe you share some hobbies and uh, what your background is. And um, you're obviously a fantasy writer um, and, and you've done really well at that um so then yeah leading into how how you got into that but maybe just start off with um a bit about yourself what your hobbies are what you enjoy doing in your your downtime yeah so uh, obviously name is jasmine I, I write under a pen name which is jj fisher um married to dave who's a electrical engineer working in the solar space at the moment wow. um and like i said we live on the central coast um, we have a uh, cat uh, or feline overlord, uh, Simba, who uh, very much keeps us out of trouble. Mind you, he's the one that gets into trouble all the time. Um, yeah, so Simba is our little ginger who we adopted uh, nearly a year ago now. Um, so, yeah, very much a typical introvert. Um, I love just being inside, reading um yeah lots and lots of breathing hobbies <laughs> um i do like a little bit of floristry and dabbling in that i okay. like to go for walks that that's the getting outside the house part um catching up with friends um yeah other than that i feel like i'm a very uninteresting person lots and lots of reading in books <laughs> so what what sort of um books draw your attention yeah, oh, good question. I, I can never pin down a favourite. I read pretty diversely. Um, love fantasy, obviously, that's the genre that I write in. Um, love historical fiction. Uh, like a bit of sci-fi. Um, yeah, I sort of dabble across genres. A uh, bit of mystery and suspense, that sort of thing. Yeah, uh, but yeah, always come back to fantasy. That's kind of the number one that's genre kind of, for me. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and like sort of, you know, classics like Tolkien and Lewis but um yeah lots and lots of different uh sort of newer sort of material that I follow I haven't dived into the Brandon and Sanderson fandom yet but I I will have, have you've got it on, on your list <laughs> on my shelf ready to go but um yeah I, I really sort of like the epic fantasy romantic fantasy uh those kinds of books cool like my face awesome and so you mentioned you, you go in terms of with your fantasy writing, you go by your pen name, um, JJ Fisher. What is that like specific to fantasy writing or is that just uh, um, a trait of being an author? You, you get to pick what people refer you to. Yeah, yeah, good question. I think I was very much aware. I mean, there's still a little bit of bias in the, in the sort of, book profession of um you know if you are a, a female sort of writing books and so that was what led jk rowling to use a right. um, yeah sort of pseudonym there rather than sort of joanne rowling um so i, I guess it was kind of following along in the tradition of that but also just jj fisher it kind of rolled off the tongue a little bit fish is actually my maiden name so i have a kind of personal connection to it there as well um but yeah i um kind of like having the um i guess separation there i was originally a clinically trained psychologist too so oh, wow. um, i liked sort of having a little bit of space and kind of knowing that clients wouldn't be so sort of looking me up online and going so i don't know i see you're a fantasy author um so yeah so um, 
kind of nice little delineation there. <laughs> yeah, that is fascinating. I never would have guessed the, um, yeah, that that bias in terms of as a female also that that people may have. Um, yeah, I never would have thought of that. Um, do do you find that that's still current uh, today in this culture context? Yeah, I I mean I, I'm not strictly sure because there has been a bit of change in that area in recent years. Um, I mean I, I'm not also writing for sort of young adult middle grade. I'm writing primarily for adults. Yeah, and so I, I know that J.K. Rowling, for example, she was looking to write for you know, young boys and girls. And so there was a wanting to make her work as appealing as possible to both. Yeah. Um, but yeah, hopefully it sort of started to change a little bit. But yeah. in the meantime, I have a lot of American fans because I'm, I'm primarily based over in the States um, in terms of publishers and that sort of thing. Um, and they call me JJ, which is really weird. You know, I was kind of like, oh, JJ, I didn't didn't sort of imagine that. I'd go by Jasmine or Jazz normally. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's nice. <laughs> well, it, it does have a nice ring to it, JJ Fisher. So it, it does. Flows yeah, off the <laughs> it flows off the tongue quite well. So you mentioned that you um, you trained clinical psychologist. Um, how did you get into fantasy writing from practicing as a psychologist? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's really good story. So um, in 2018, I was working in private practice um, as a psychologist. Um, and really loving it, but had to basically leave my job overnight um, due to chronic health um, concerns that sort of been uh, simmering away in the background, I guess, but really uh, became so much worse basically overnight. And so I had to step away from my job, had to, um, yeah, sort of farewell everything then, uh, which was huge for me. It was a, for a long time, I kind of thought, what well, if this is just a, acute health crisis and it's going to blow over and I'm going to be able to get back to psychology. Um, but it didn't, uh, chronic health kind of uh, kept on going. Um, and that's been diagnosed just two or three years ago as a condition called mast cell activation syndrome, okay. uh, or MCAS. So it's a relatively rare diagnosis up until a few years ago. Um, but it's received a lot more attention recently because it's very similar to long COVID. So um, doctors think there might be some parallels there. Um, But anyway, um, had these symptoms and sort of gone from being a really functional well person to completely, yeah, not not being able to drive very much or leave the house very much, lots of pain and fatigue and all that sort of thing. Um, So as I was kind of working through that journey, um, I was able to still write, and I had been writing since I was a teenager, uh, this book, this epic fantasy book. And so I thought, okay, I've got a lot of time on my hands. I'm not working full time anymore. So um, when I was well, I just kept chipping away at that book and eventually finished it. Uh, so 12 and a half years in the making, wow. uh, this book uh, that eventually became my debut novel, um, and yeah, queried it, um, found a publisher, uh, that book got published by an American, um, publisher and the sequel, um, as well, which I'd written. So I'm getting progressively quicker. So 12 and a half years for book one, uh, nine months for book two. That's a significant, <laughs> oh my goodness. 
<laughs> so a lot a lot quicker over time but yeah I just kept going and um I guess went on to write more books um eventually um, got contracted by my dream publisher which is Enclave um publishing just an amazing publisher in the states that um specifically focuses on Christian speculative fiction so okay. fantasy and science fiction and that sort of thing um yeah so currently plotting my 12th book uh so we've sort of moved on and the last few years has just absolutely gone so quickly um but i decided eventually not to return to psychology um and to pursue a career in and writing and in freelance editing as well so i've launched my own freelance editing business and has sort of dived into that and um uh mentoring a lot of different writers as well wow um and a lot of different genres so it's been a journey <laughs> yeah, it's a very very short summary of of how it came about, but um, uh, I guess that was how it sort of went from a hobby and just like I want to publish a book someday. Yeah, to, okay, this is something that I seriously want to do as a career. Yeah, and I can imagine there would be like quite a few highs and lows throughout that journey, even in terms of at the sort of forefront of that journey, uh, mm. dealing with chronic uh, illness and then having to think of like what's next the oh sure the next steps or what do I do or can you return back or how's that going to affect career and sort of Mm. um yeah maybe you can share a bit about what the challenges have been um and and what the highlights have been of of that journey so so far Mm, absolutely yeah I've I've had really a kind of long suffering journey, I guess, as I as I call it. Um, my husband had lymphoma or cancer of the lymph nodes in 2021, um, and we've had a number of health challenges between us. Uh, for me, some of those have been life threatening, um, and now as a result of my husband's chemo, uh, we're working through the challenges of infertility, which has been a whole other journey on its own. Um, so sort of been led to sort of go down the IVF pathway um, but that's something that has posed a lot of ethical challenges for us as Christians um, and so navigating that while staying true to our Christian convictions and our beliefs has been has been difficult so um, lots and lots of um, challenges there but God has been really kind to us really generous um, and has given us along the way uh, seasons of rest and joy and um, some real ups as well. Um, and yeah, God is, I, I guess, really blessed the editing and writing crew at times. I've kind of gone, you know, should I go back to psychology? Um, should I, you know, have sort of walked away from that? Um, but yeah, there's been some wonderful, I guess, confirmations along the way that this is the thing that I really want to do and have always wanted to do, but it was kind of always on the back burner with the, the day job and right. <laughs> trying to kind of make that um, happen. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, one of my books, um, which is Claw, the fifth one that I wrote, but the third one to be published, um, that recently won Book of the Year and Best Fantasy um, over at the Realm Awards in the oh. States. So um, it was a total shock because I um, was up against some amazing books written by some absolutely fabulous authors. So 
um, yeah, it was a wonderful encouragement because writing is a very solitary thing and right. plugging away at a lot. If, if you worked out your income, it would be five cents an hour, <laughs> you know, all, all the time that you spend on it, thinking and dreaming and, um, and writing. Um, but yeah, I'm really sort of grateful for some of those seasons where things have been a little bit easier, but also I'm grateful for the, the hard seasons too, because I think that's led us down paths that we might not have taken otherwise and um you know really has led us to greater dependence on god um probably a better theology of suffering um and yeah really strengthen our marriage as well which is being um yeah we're just so thankful i guess and i never thought i would say that but so thankful for the lessons of chronic illness and um yeah the sort of i guess ways that god can bless us even through hard times as well yeah, yeah, very good. And I think chronic illness seems to be one of those um, issues that's maybe there's like a stigma around it in, in terms of culture where it's not spoken about too much, but there's there's a few, I have a few friends who um, are journeying with it as well. So how how would you encourage someone who is experiencing or, or walking through that, that suffering as you called it? Um, mm. And it, in the, the same sense, how would you encourage them in terms of, is there a hope? Is there a, a time for just sitting in that suffering and um, allowing God to enter in? Or how did you, you come to terms with it? Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I think definitely I've gone through all of the, I guess you might say, the stages of grief, you know, sort of the initial railing at God and sort of being really angry and at, at times feeling really helpless um, and, yeah, really hopeless at times. So I think my first piece of advice would be to let that bubble up, you know, whatever feelings are there. Um, God has given us emotions. He's He's made us emotional creatures. Um, we, you know, feel angry, we feel sad, um, we feel hopeless at times and those those things crop up and mm-hmm. I think it's really important not to jump straight away to a, you know, this is how you should be approaching it or a um, this is how you need to go through it, you know, and, and, and sort of like jumping straight to the why or the theology yeah. of it, if that makes sense. Um, I think a lot of people are really well-meaning, but you can kind of get them coming up to you and try to rationalize it and go, oh, so, you know, do you know, is there any sort of unrepentant sin in your life or, you know, have you prayed about it or have you attended this particular healing service at this church, you know, you had been anointed with oil, that that, that kind of stuff. And then people are sort of jumping straight to the, I want to fix it, I want to help you through it. Um, I want to provide an answer for why you're doing, for why you're going through this right now. Um, but so much of suffering is just not necessarily having all the answers and just sometimes being overwhelmed by um, these different emotions and questions about the goodness of God. Why is he allowed me to go through this? Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, letting those um, sort of bubble up and, and, um, I guess giving voice to them, not just sort of complaining, but bringing that to God. We're, we're going through the Job Church at the moment, and it's just a phenomenal book. I have come back to it a few times and, and read through it. 
Um, but this time I'm so struck by the fact that, yeah, Joe, Joe really voices how he's feeling and, yeah. and uh, he brings that to God. And obviously there's a bit of up and down throughout the book, but really just challenge to um, whatever you're going through to bring that to God and to, to wrestle through it because, um, yeah, a lot of people sort of go through hard times but never sort of think about God or uh, never sort of turn their gaze heavenward. And I think that's been probably the most helpful thing for, for me is going, okay, this is what's happening and, and, and it feels like God is being unjust or um, it feels like, um, yeah, God is not being good because I'm going through this, but, you know, bringing that to God because he is really the only, the only one capable of, of doing anything about the situation. He is absolutely sovereign. Yeah, very good. And that's, um, I think that's such an important reminder as well is that we can go to God in our vulnerability and honest in honesty of emotion as well I think yeah Job's an example of that and then if you read through the Psalms as well there's David goes through his highs and lows and he um goes from a place of asking God where he's at and then celebrating um, that God's always been there um so I, I think that's something it's a good reminder that we can be honest with God with our emotions and yeah he's a he's a safe place to confide in um, during those times. The, Absolutely. The um, interesting thing I, in terms of on the other side is like uh, say um, a friend who's experiencing uh, another friend going through suffering or trauma. Um, you look at the book of Job and you see how his friends started off really good and they just sat mm. there with him, right? And that's yeah, sort of what, yeah. what uh, we need when we, we're going through like times of suffering and uncertainty or confusion is um, our friends not to provide the answers or, or to come up mm. with the solution, but just to sit with us because that's what Jesus does. Um, mm. So they started off really well and then they sort of went <laughs> from there. Yeah, they completely, if, if they'd said nothing else, if they just sat there in the ash heap with him and just gone up, I'm sorry, mate. Yeah, they, they were pro- probably would have been counted very wise. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's literally the widest thing that they widest thing that they do. <laughs> yeah, it, exactly. Um, that just off the um, back of that, uh, why do you think it is so difficult to sit in the the suffering or in that environment with someone? Mm. Yeah, I, I think I think probably two reasons. One is that we have a very therapeutic culture in the West um, where we, well, we enjoy pretty good health for the most part. Uh, we live quite long. Uh, we have all these treatments at our disposal, all these medications, that sort of thing. Um, and so I feel like we have the illusion of things being under our control so much more that we, you know, have this problem. We can, we can Google it. We can take supplements. We can take a medication. Um, and so it's, I think it's made us very intolerant to any kind of suffering uh, because whenever bad times happen, I, I think the perception is that this is the blip rather than we live in a fallen world and this is something that is to be expected. And especially as Christians, we were sort of told that we're going to suffer. And so, yeah, we're, we're kind of not prepared, <laughs> if that makes sense, you know, when bad things come along. But I think also... As a society, you know, when 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 people struggle, when people around us struggle, 
uh, we tend to kind of go down the fix-it pathway and we right. we can't sit with people suffering um, because we just want to go, oh, I just want to make that that better for you. Um, and, and sometimes I think because of beliefs that we hold in psychology, we talk about the just world hypothesis. Right. It's the idea that good things happen to good people, um, you know, bad things happen happen to bad people. And you see that crop up for, for Job's friends. They're very much kind of going, you know, Job, you're suffering, you know, all this kind of bad stuff has happened, therefore you must have sinned in some way. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, how we kind of rationalise okay, you know, you're suffering, therefore this must be something that you can do here or that I can do or suggest yeah. um, rather than kind of looking at, well, God is sovereign. Obviously, he has brought this on us for a reason. Uh, we might not necessarily know what that reason is, but how can we kind of bring that to God and surrender that? Um, yeah, so I, I know even for myself, even after everything that I've gone through, um, if I hear someone's having a rough time or, someone else has chronic health issues still my first kind of knee-jerk reaction is yeah trying to think oh how, how can I fix it or what might be causing this problem and um yeah sometimes we try and kind of Im- impose that kind of just world hypothesis or in in Christianity we might sort of say the prosperity gospel that you know the health wealth and yeah <laughs> the the blessings of that kind of thing so yeah I think I've I've learned very quickly that um, even though, yeah, so don't believe in the prosperity gospel, that it can still worm its, its way. way into my thinking and, and other people's thinking too. Yeah. Yeah. I love how um, that's super encouraging just to hear that that's something that you have to be mindful of in terms mm-hmm. of when, when you hear of someone else's suffering. And I think it's encouraging because it's like we can we can see those things crop up and be aware of them and then if we are aware that they sort of lingering around, we, we probably can have a better response because we're more likely to recognize when it's coming up and sort of mm. push it down or, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we all do it in various ways. And I think it's Brené Brown who, you know, does the little illustration that you're sitting at the bottom of a dark hole and the friend who comes along and says, so you want a sandwich <laughs> or something like that? <laughs> Uh, yeah, we, we kind of need friends just to sit with us and yeah. Yeah, not not be shaken when sometimes we say things that might sound like we're losing our faith. Or yeah. Yeah, I think you've mentioned the Psalms before, and I just love the Psalms. I feel like they give us the excuse to say so much. Um, you know, what is it, Psalm 88, I think, finishes with darkness is my closest friend. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just an incredible line of, you know, darkness is a better friend than you god yeah and there's been times where i've sort of said things like that or railed my fist and, and it's it's nice to know that yeah there's space for that in yeah the Bible, that, that that sort of lament i guess the lost art of lament is really encouraged yeah yeah and i think it's something um yeah that we don't we don't know how to do well perhaps in our western culture is that lament and because uh, mm. you you mentioned it, it it's that uh, prosperity mindset or that the good life mindset is that everything has to be good and it's in our control so mm. we should be able to control how good our life is and if your life isn't good in societal standards or if you're going through suffering then there must be something you can do to 
to avert that or control it. But at the end of the day, there's things that are in our control and then there's things that are out of our control. And uh, mm-hmm. I think we're not God. And I love how you, you mentioned we can trust in God's sovereignty though. And then we can go to him with our honesty. And mm-hmm. yeah, sometimes darkness is our, our closest friend in terms of how we might be feeling. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. So obviously faith is very central, it sounds like, in your life. Um, and you have, it seems like a very healthy gospel perspective as well of um, everything that you've gone through. So is does the gospel and does the, your faith inspire your writing? Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think my faith and, and what I've been through as a person is very much influenced by writing. Um, I always weave parts of my suffering uh, journey, my soul, psychology training as well into all my books. Um, and many of my characters are sort of shown grappling with some of the questions that I've wrestled with for some of the past 10, 15 years or so. Um, you know, why does God put us through hard times and dark valleys? Um, is God good? Does he care what happens to us? All, all those kinds of questions. Uh, it's actually very cathartic and therapeutic. Um, being a psychologist writer because you kind of get to project your pain on fictional characters nice. and <laughs> make them deal with it, you know. <laughs> uh, I'm sure there's um, something um, a little bit psychopathic about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of nice to, I think sometimes when you can't give voice to things within yourself, um, to wrestle with that in the space of a fictitious story. Yeah. Um, and you might not necessarily get to the answers although sometimes you do and that's lovely um but you know it's sort of almost like a space for a conversation with god to kind of go god this is what i'm struggling with and 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 i think that resonates with readers too who are grappling with some of those questions um but yeah fiction is such a valuable way of um presenting truth particularly gospel truth um so the christian writer janet oak i don't know if you you've heard of her uh, she recently uh, referred to Christian writers as being like paper missionaries. Uh, okay. So the idea that, you know, you can reach people all over the world that you might never be able to meet in person or minister to in person. Um, and so we, we do want to obviously reach those who haven't heard the gospel, um, but we also want to minister to Christians because they're still in pain, yeah. still suffering, still, you know, grappling with big questions about their faith. Um, and sometimes they can get neglected, I guess, in our really wonderful, you know, mission to grow God's church and to reach the lost. Sometimes, yeah, we forget about the the sufferers who are kind of <laughs> going through hard times, um, yeah, in, in the congregation. And I think um, sometimes fiction is thought of as um, being a bit of a second-rank medium for commending the gospel. Uh, it's often really undervalued, you know, kind of think, oh, well, isn't the Bible enough? You know, right. uh, what about that nonfiction book who, you know, explores the theology of suffering and those are great as well. And I've, I've really loved and engaged with a few of those. Um, but stories are something that we soak in from the time that we're born and we don't just put aside that tendency when we get older. Um, so stories are something that I think like C.S. Lewis said, they sneak past the watchful dragons yeah. of their hearts. So oh. things like tradition and, um, you know, 
all the sort of established kind of religious stuff that can make us, I think, a bit apathetic and um, a bit fatigued. And, and so, um, yeah, what fiction does, I think, is allow us to see the gospel and all its beauty and, um, yeah, see it almost like we're seeing it for the very first time. I think in Australia that's a real challenge because uh, many people are really comfortable in their lives. They don't, they don't see the need for the gospel. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's something that I think is is really important role for fiction and and for a Christian writer especially. Right. So do you think um, you mentioned in well your work's done uh, predominantly well in the US, um, mm-hmm. and then you mentioned in Australia people um, don't really have a need or don't don't see themselves having a need for for the gospel. Do you think fiction is able to bridge that gap um, mm. in, in the sense of it's not directly like a theological book or something like that, mm. and it sort of can break down maybe preconceived ideas or um, mm. what's your thoughts over there? Yeah, absolutely. I Yeah, I, I think definitely sort of that watchful dragon's idea that fiction is kind of the the, the truth that kind of, comes at us when we least expect it. Um, I think there's a really great really great quote that um, fiction is fact masquerading as truth. Um, and, yeah, so often when you read things in a fiction, it's just not sort of obtrusive or um, necessarily as dangerous as a nonfiction might be. If you, if you pick up an explicitly Christian nonfiction book, you know, I think the expectation is that it's going to be quite direct and, yeah. You know, that sometimes that engages our head, but it doesn't really engage our heart. Um, so for me, especially writing in the fantasy genre, um, I've often talked about this whole idea of um, literary jamé vu, uh, so kind of thinking the opposite of déjà vu, which is, you know, when you're seeing something strange as if it's familiar, yeah. it's kind of a flip side. So we're seeing familiar things as if that's strange. And that's kind of what fantasy does. It kind of makes the the familiar strange and sort of um, turns everything on its head, if you like. Yeah. Um, and so that strangeness can actually help us see the truth in a way that engages our, our hearts as well as our heads. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of the thing that sneaks past when you're not looking. Um, and I think it's a wonderful resource for reaching people who don't know Jesus, but also people who have they're familiar with the gospel they've heard it every sunday they read their bibles but you know haven't seen a particular kind of truth in a certain way you know you kind of get the opportunity to show them something like they're seeing it for the very first time um that's beautiful so yeah so i think that's that's really special and fantasy is about heroes and redemption and um and truth and i think i see the bible as a story of heroic Redemption, you know, Jesus, the chosen one, the perfect hero um, who lays down everything for us. Um, and, and God, Jesus, is the ultimate author of life and salvation. So anything that we do as Christian writers is very much that sub-creating, you know, that mm-hmm. sort of Tolkien and Lewis idea that we're just rearranging. <laughs> we're not really doing anything especially original, but we're reflecting some of the rich beauty and and sort of originality of the gospel story, yeah. um, you know, which we believe is true and we believe is a fact, 
um, but we're kind of, um, yeah, reflecting that back in some small way. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's, awesome. that's that's a little bit of my sort of vision, I guess, for, for Christian fantasy. I love that. Um, where's that quote from that you mentioned uh, from C.S. Lewis about the the sneaking past the dragon? Ah, oh, the Watch for Dragons. I Watch have dragons. to have to look that up. I I love C.S. Lewis, and I have just a brain full of C.S. Lewis. Yeah, quotes, but, I, I'm saying <laughs> I I haven't read all of his work, but I he is one of my um my favorite authors. So mm. it's like I, I get what you mean. The, the way he writes as well, you can easily put a quote from his from a certain book into another one, and yeah. yes, yeah. oh yeah, he's he's fabulous, and he's written so much about writing. He he does say, and I should should say, I I think that it's very much a space for the Christian writer who doesn't necessarily write Christian fiction or Christian fantasy. You know, he has this lovely quote that he says, you know, when Jesus built a wheel in the carpenter's shop, in his, his dad's carpenter shop, it was first and foremost a good wheel. <laughs> so it doesn't, not everything that we create has to be explicitly Christian. Yeah. Um, but I think it always has echoes of our faith. Um, but yeah, no, I'll have to, I'll have to look that one up for you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, great quote. <laughs> it, it is a great quote. And I, I love just that um, last thing that you said as well. It doesn't necessarily have to be Christian, but uh, I think the implications of being created in God's image, like you're saying, mm-hmm. participating in something creative is image bearing God's creativity. Uh, so mm. it is a it is a beautiful thing when you when you do something well and that reflects the the beauty of God definitely. Um, mm, absolutely, I've, I've heard it said. I th- the reason I was fascinated about that C.S. Lewis quote because I think that um, says it a lot more clearer than uh, I was reading. Uh, he's a philosopher named James K. Smith, and he mm. is basically saying about how. Uh, cultural liturgies are these things that shape our hearts and it's the same mm. thing like narratives and stories will go past our head and meet us at our heart and those are the things that transform our behaviors and habits and things mm. like that um so i think i think what you're saying it makes so much sense and then even if you look at how jesus spoke in parables and stories mm. um and that was to teach profound truths and, mm. and capture people's hearts. I think there's, there's a, a need for that in, in our society. Um, and then it's a great way of just reveling at beauty and looking at things from a different perspective. And oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah, totally. And like C.S. Lewis says, you know, someday, I think it's his dedication for one of the Narnia books, someday you'll be old enough to start reading. Um, fairy tales again <laughs> yeah you know and so the idea that we never really as adults we never really step away from stories um or we shouldn't <laughs> yeah. i think is probably more the more the theme but um yeah stories are a very special um place i think in our hearts and you see that common to every basically civilization on earth is the the richness of story and um the oral narrative and yeah if, if it was sort of Jesus has chosen um, way of sharing so much truth, how we sort of moved beyond it to where we go, oh, stories are just for kids. Yeah. Um, or, yeah, uh, just the thing that you sort of read on the side for a little bit of entertainment on the train or 
on the way to somewhere, waiting for the doctor, that kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah, I love that. How do you think we, like as adults who have perhaps lost that um, spark for the the fancies, like the fantastical world, mm-hmm. how do we enter back into that space? How do we enter back into Narnia? Mm, oh, that's a that's a wonderful question. Um, I think reclaiming that sense of um, wonder and and awe, um, like that that sort of childlike spirit of curiosity. I think when we when we grow up, we sort of see curiosity and learning um, as a as a kid thing. You know, we sort of stop reading things that challenge us. Uh, we get into our ruts. Uh, we might read, you know, one book every ten years or something like that. Um, we stop listening to different opinions about things. We sort of have our communities where everyone thinks and looks sometimes just exactly like us. Um, so I think it's good to be challenged by different, sometimes to read things from even opposing points of view. Um, and I, I really love the um, resources resources of like the Gospel Coalition because sometimes there's an issue that might be looked at a number of different ways. Um, and, and that is a non-fiction sort of thing. But uh, I think cultivating that spirit of curiosity and learning and maybe a little bit of open-mindedness too, you know, we're, we're firm on the gospel, we're firm on all the fundamentals, we're not not throwing that away. And, and sometimes I think as we read the Bible, um, you know, we have to set our cultural kind of lens beside, you know, to kind yeah. of see what God is teaching us through his word. Um, but yeah, just I think coming back to that sense of how can I open my mind and and think about this and and see something different and challenge ourselves, you know, read a different genre to what we might normally read or um, uh, have a you know conversation with somebody about something deep. Um, yeah, all those different ways. I think that we're sort of opening our minds to people's stories and and ultimately I think is a reflection of the great story of the gospel um but yeah uh, asking people what they think about different things having conversations with neighbors and and yeah um getting a sense of their perspective listening i guess it's all something that you do very well (laughs) uh yeah we tend to sort of have ready formed opinions and social media definitely cultivates that in us but Yeah. yeah sort of holding back sometimes and just listening and and seeing what other people have to say or what books have to say as well yeah. Not exposing ourselves to everything. Not not all books come from sort of great vantage points. But um, yeah, having that childlike curiosity and wonder. I love that. Yeah, there's there's a a definite need for for that childlike curiosity. I think it's important, um, and it's also how we grow and learn. I think if mm-hmm. we if we lose that, then we start to we start to believe the lie that we know everything and that mm. we can, again, goes back to that control. We can control everything um, mm. because we understand everything and we just don't. There's just so, so much that the universe is so infinitely vast that, mm. yeah, we, we can't know. There's no way we can know everything. And absolutely, that's the yeah. beauty of curiosity is it sort of starts with that premise that we don't know everything. Mm. Yeah. I sh- actually, you know, bringing it back to Job, you know, God's response to Job out of the storm um, and, you know, so much of what God says is, you know, were you there when I created 
Leviathan and the Hemoth and, yeah. you know, do you control the, you know, seas? Do you kind of know when this animal, you know, jumps around and all that kind of stuff? And, yeah, there's, we know such a small corner, I think, of, of, you know, obviously we have the gospel and we have everything that we need for life and godliness. But, yeah, it's such a big world and um, God is such a big God. I think every time we try and shoehorn him into a particular preconception, uh, we're missing out on the, the richness of, of who he is and sort of I think, yeah, I, I guess part of that um, curiosity and wonder is bringing that into our relationship with God and trying to kind of go, God, I want to know more about you and, you know, I uh, want to understand more. Um, yeah, I think that's a wonderful avenue for growth too. Yeah, I love that. Um, just a, a sort of final question that I have is, you, you're in this creative space, you uh, pumping out lots of content and material and, and books and with the, the rise of artificial intelligence and things like mm. chat GPT, how does that affect, say, creative writing and that creative process? Have, have you noticed any effects there or has mm. there been any concerns or, yeah, what's your thoughts on, on that? Yeah, yeah. I think we're going to see a bit of a, um, a a flood of sort of AI written books in, in the publishing space. And I, I've started to see, um, you know, agents and publishers in their submission process going, um, you know, is this book written by AI? And I know that's particularly affected the art world. Yeah. So a lot of my graphic designer friends and artist friends sort of, yeah, a lot of that um, I guess questions around ownership and that sort of thing. I'm sure you heard the scandal of um, all those different authors that were used to train up the AI. Um, I think that was, was it Meta or something like that. But nice. yeah, big sort of lawsuit happening at the moment. So yeah, they're really current issues. And I think um, as as intimidating as AI can be, and you know, ChatGPT, you can seem like it knows a lot about. Um, things it, it doesn't have a soul um, it de- definitely doesn't write books from a um, particular vantage point necessarily um, and I think as Christian writers we shouldn't be afraid of it because I don't think I mean if AI was to replicate a, a Christian fantasy kind of book um, to the glory of God then yay <laughs> I just love that because you know it advances his kingdom uh, as long as it's not stealing from authors of yeah, course yeah. but um, you know, if if I, AI does it or a human also does it, then that's that's great. God's word is still preached. Um, but yeah, I I think it's a yeah, it's a, it's a scary thing. I know a lot of people are concerned about AI, and I've had colleagues that were affected by that um, that that scandal from a few months ago. Um, but I think yeah, it's, it's, I mean, all we can kind of control is our own creative output. And our own, our own stories, and um, we can shape them. I think with our values, and I don't think we should be afraid of that. Um, I know that's come under increasingly under fire, and you know Amazon and sort of blacklisting um, certain writers and certain books um, about particular topics. But yeah, I think we should um, be, I guess, just um, convicted to write the story that we want to tell. And, yeah, trusting God was that. I mean, we can't really control very much about, you know, publication, you know, how many books 
we sell or, you know, who, who reads it, that sort of thing, that, yeah. that really is in God's hands. Um, and sometimes it's a little bit at the mercy of the algorithm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think, I think yeah, not to worry, I guess, is probably what I would, I would say. That's great. Well, it doesn't sound like you're concerned about it at all, which is, which is great. Um, <laughs> I love that perspective as well is if it's writing a, a book to the glory of God and then... Yeah, or be to it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's been great chatting with you. Before uh, we go, if people are wanting to find out more about yourself, if they're wanting to grab a copy of one of your books, where where would they go to? Mm, yeah, so just maybe um, probably the best place is my website, jjfisher.com. There's a C in Fisher with the German heritage um coming through there um but yeah uh, that website um i'm on instagram facebook i am very very like briefly on on twitter um but i struggle with the platform so i'm not not really on there um but yeah in instagram is probably the main main space that's uh, probably the the bookstagramming sphere i don't know if you're familiar with that but the sort of raving about different books and posting pretty pictures of books with ah. cups of teens and everything. So that, that's my main space. But yeah, um, if you're a writer, um, if anyone listening is a writer who yeah, wants to get in touch and, and network, I'd love to introduce you to some of the, the communities that I've found really helpful and um, some of the different groups and people that have nurtured me in my writing. And, and that's been absolutely valuable. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for um, carving out the time of, of your day and um, having this conversation. I've, I've really enjoyed it and I found it really helpful in a, in a number of different manners. Your, your honesty and vulnerability is particularly encouraging and um, yeah, just how you approach writing and that creative process is, is yeah, super inspirational. Thank you. Thank you. And it's been wonderful um, yeah, chatting today. Thank you so much for having me. No worries. Talk soon. Thanks. Bye.